This week in the parish of forces and market structure. No foreign bidders, please. We're Australian. NYMEX is in peril and the CME in acute danger as West Texas Intermediate is reborn and Cushing WTI looks more obsolete than ever and a happy fintech story where an oil major fought the blob to pay dividends more efficiently. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, Episode 100. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the week's many events and happenings can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter. The unique water cooler, the guide to the bourse business, sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. Magellan Enterprise and Intercontinental Exchange team up sounds like an innocuous headline. The remarkable thing is how little this seismic news has so far impacted either the Chicago Mercantile Exchange's shares or the Intercontinental Exchange's stock. A great reckoning approaches on La Salle Street, but so far CME stockholders retain a Stockholm Syndrome embrace of Terry Duffy's increasingly imperiled regime. As Harold Ham, the chairman of the Board of Continental Resources and the founding member of the American Gulf Coast Select Best Practices Task Force Association, rather a tongue twister there that was set up in the wake of the Cushing crisis last year. And indeed, as Chairman Harold Ham goes on to note, on April 20th last year, when the Cushing, Oklahoma, West Texas Intermediate contract traded down to negative $38, it was a wake-up call to the oil industry for the storage constraints and landlocked location of the Cushing contract could no longer be ignored. The negative trading shambles of the April 20th, 2020 Cushing crisis was a disaster for the image of the derivatives market, as we have previously noted. And, regardless of what their agate prop may claim, leaving aside to a spineless CFTC response, it showed in plain sight the folly of the CME's monopoly milking strategy. April 20th marks the grave being dug in 2020 for Cushing West Texas Intermediate Futures. And yet, 14 months on, CME has done nothing apart from distribute yet more shameless propaganda. As I noted in Exchange Invest 2053, that was headlined West Texas Intermediate, one micro future with every five gallons. Brent reigned supreme earlier this year as WTI volumes look rather weak. Nothing can compare to Q1 2020, but ultimately ICE had momentum in Brent to lead the oil futures benchmark volumes. That's separate, of course, to their brilliant IFAD launch. Note also my article there, the opinion piece in the National in Abu Dhabi, the island of excellence emerging around Merban futures. I could also note the ICE's stunning volumes in JKM and LNG, amongst other major energy successes, of course driven by a combined sense of appreciable crisis 
It appears there was a sudden coup de foudre across Houston last April as major players Miguel and the Enterprise realised they might be keen competitors, but with the CME WTI franchise horribly tarnished, their storage could give the impetus in Houston to a renaissance of WTI, or it could be irreparably harmed by the minus $38 nonsense. Thus, we have the unprecedented melding of Miguel and East Houston, meh, terminal, and the Enterprise Crude Houston Echo Terminal, presenting themselves as one to create a new futures contract. I have long been advocating a switch to WTI Houston in line with a lot of the OTC oil business. This move represents a seismic futures shift to rejuvenate the WTI franchise, which has been tarnished by the Cushing crisis. A proper, credible, global benchmark can emerge. At the same time, it's a case of under new management, too. With CME ignored for operating this market and ICE endorsed to run the new futures and options complex. This could be tantamount to the death of NYMEX. It will be some time before, of course, a lot of the existing funds and other licensed products roll over, but I harbour a sense of inevitability that Cushing WTI is dead. Funeral invitations to follow, expect some latency. Moreover, CNE having ignored the problems, it has no immediate opportunity to get seriously into the Houston market, its own Houston future not being a patch on a jointly stored Magellan Enterprise market. True, Cushing could try to increase storage again, but it looks an uphill path beyond being able to use those recycling cooking oil storage vats behind the McDonald's and Taco Bell restaurants, I suppose. For landlocked, Cushing has about 90 million barrels, according to CME data, of capacity. Houston has 60 million barrels in Magellan and Echo alone. In the local metropolitan area, it's more like 150 million barrels. Try a storage squeeze there and see how it works out. It won't be another April 20th, 2020, especially not as the broader Gulf region around Houston has some 492 million barrels of storage capacity, more than five times the storage capacity in Cushing. Moreover, and this is surely the killer part of the jigsaw puzzle, Houston has access to water. Our woman with the eyeglass pouring over Google Earth says it amounts to 14 peers worth of oil access. That's a massive amount of dock optionality. And as we know with waterborne Brent, it's a key modality in high volume benchmarks. So on the raw numbers, Houston is a big game changer. And it's a shock CME could not see this coming or indeed react. I mean, seriously, they didn't perceive Harold Ham's committee might change a thing. Thus, Ketri's Paribus, Cushing is cruising towards crushing by this new efficient ice product, which offers magnificent margin offsets across the world of energy. CME is still a thing. However, if, as I expect here, the liquidity moves elsewhere, then NYMEX CME Clearport retains the utility of a chocolate oil barrel. Plus, this is a story of growth. I have noted in many previous orations and Exchange Invest newsletters that it's questionable whether the CME truly gets the whole growth idea. But at the same time, monopoly milking has been a disaster, 
even if many CME investors are not yet awake to this threat. The projections show U.S. oil production growing faster than the likes of Saudi Arabia or Russia, with the U.S. expected to remain the world's largest oil producer. That's a whole new line of exorbitant privilege, one might argue. But in this context, it really matters, particularly as the nowadays oil-exporting USA sets up those 14 operative keys as being a more advantageous USP still for Houston Transit. This is particularly true given the excess of supply in the US market for light, sweet crude. I could go on and on, but you get the gist. Two, POI summarize. CME failed the oil market on April 20th, 2020. ICE has engineered an opening to remove one of CME's benchmark contracts. Ladies and gentlemen, extrapolate in your own time views on CME management, CME stock price, and the way forward. Worst news still for CME this week, it's only a little drop in the ocean, but nonetheless it's embarrassing. A loss of $1.9 million at the next group. True, that comes after a lot of restructuring, but the problem is the drip, drip, drip of bad news about CME continues apace and management appears oblivious to the world around it. Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Boris Bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the exchange of information, their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. Foreign suitors are not welcome at ASX Limited. That's according to the Australian Financial Review, which, and I quote, it is understood Treasurer Josh Frydenberg is in no mood to allow a foreign exchange owner or other offshore suitor to get its hands on Australia's ASX. It appears the spirit of protectionism remains a forethought in Canberra, where Terra Australis remains a kind of third-way North Korea, cut off from normal travel and refusing the opportunity to be part of global markets. It's a pity, given the signed trade deal signed just last week with the United Kingdom post-Brexit, which shows that Australia does have some vestiges of desires to be an open market global trading nation. Melding together open market global traders and the oil business, Royal Dutch Shell, they produced an article just recently with the fabulously dull title Modernising Dividend Distribution at Royal Dutch Shell, and it was published in treasurers.org. Many of our listeners managed to read it in the parish. The stasis of many value chain rentiers has never ceased to amaze me in over 20 years of capital market revolution. Here, Royal Dutch Shell exemplifies a perfect example of a logical process improvement which involved something akin to, well, the door-to-door combat of recent campaigns in the disputed Ukrainian Donbass region. Well done Shell for battling ludicrously reactionary parties who sucked from the ecosystem without seeking to improve it and maintained a ludicrously antiquated approach towards posting checks in order to pay dividends. This, if nothing else, is surely a policy which must pay dividend for the entirety of the parish in the future. In results this week, one key set, the end of an era 
with IHS market going out on a high, topping earnings and revenue estimates for Q2 in advance of their anticipated subsummation into S&P Global during the course of the next quarter. All the very best to the IHS market team and Valley Lance Ugla, the spectacular CEO who melded together an amazing business out of IHS market and so forth. In new markets, a cornucopia of new events this week. SIBO are planning to launch enhanced block trading services in Canada, further expanding the bids trading globally. It's a totally sensible move. It further pressures LiquidNet, the erstwhile market leader across the world, albeit the real damage to TPICAP's latest poor purchase will be affected when Chiex becomes SIBO Asia and launches bids into the last remaining LiquidNet monopoly region, Asia itself. Over in the Caribbean, exciting news. The Bahamian crowdfunding platform and a stock exchange, Arawak X, is looking to go live early next month. The platform will act as an exchange and secondary market and should give confidence to the Bahamian and international community, initially eyeing funding through crowdfunding of startups looking for up to 1 to 2 million US dollars. This is exciting news from the Bahamas. ROXX looks to energize early stage funding in the Caribbean. Also, good news on the sports trading front. Sport Trade, a Philadelphia-based startup that's been operating since 2018, enables users to trade sports bets like stock and a secured investment from a coalition including Jump Capital, Impression Ventures, Hudson River Trading, the former CEO of MGM Resorts International, Jim Murren, and Tom Whitman, none other than the former CEO of the Nasdaq Stock Exchange. In total, they've raised some $36 million to transform sports betting. As a co-founder of one pioneering sports exchange, which was partially ahead of its time in trade, I wish Alex Kane and his team every success with their sport trade venture. In deal news this week, by the time you listen to this podcast, we expect the sale of Nasdaq fixed income to TradeWeb to have been completed. It's anticipated to be on or around June the 25th for completion of the $190 million deal. Meanwhile, the Zagreb Stock Exchange, they've got the nod to potentially increase their stakeholding in the Macedonian Stock Exchange up to the 20% level, and they've got a 90-day window to do so. Elsewhere, the Cyprus Stock Exchange, they've confirmed they're looking at being privatized in 2022. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, there's still time to catch a copy of A Victory or Death. In fact, I was discussing it just this week during the latest IPO vid. You should be checking that out too. IPO vid, it's via YouTube. Just go to youtube.com and search IPO-vid. Our latest guest was the crypto dad himself, former chairman of the CFTC, the US regulator, Christopher Giancarlo. Most illuminating session it was. We were discussing many things and indeed his upcoming book as well, which will be coming out in September. Meanwhile, you've still got a chance to read Victory or Death, my book on Bitcoin blockchain and the future of fintech, which is available worldwide through Ingram Distribution. In Cryptoland, BitMEX is in talks to rent yet more space at Hong Kong's costiest office. For now, it seems BitMEX can afford the rent to the point of seeking yet more space, which I previously described when they first moved in as being, I thought, ultimately hubristic. So far, so good for BitMEX. They seem to be keeping the rent payments flowing. 
Product news this week, China have launched crude oil options to foreign traders and the MSCI CEO Henry Fernandez has announced that MSCI are looking at the launch of crypto indexes. He was speaking at a clubhouse event organised by venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. Good grief, how very retro, surely, a clubhouse event. Isn't that a business now in death row as the major social networks eat its lunch and do so while including all mobile users and not just the iPhone folks? Technology news this week, Euronex suffered derivatives glitches, a vast internet outage hurt everything across the web from government sites to the Hong Kong exchange hours after the Putin-Biden summit in Geneva. Meanwhile, London Stock Exchange Group's Refinitiv suffered another paroxysm of tech downtime. In Career Pass this week, two little snippets of news. The American Financial Exchange's chairman and CEO, Professor Dr. Richard Sander, received honorary professorship at Fudan University in Shanghai, China, in advance of the launch of China's national emission trading system. All hail to the doc. Congratulations, Richard. A thoroughly deserved academic honor from China. Elsewhere, the former European parliamentarian, Jake Pugh, who represented the Brexit party during the final stint of the UK's membership of the European Union, he has joined a company called Hello Social Club. They're experts in social media, and Jake becomes commercial director of the digital advisory firm founded by comms expert Natalia Bull, doubtless bringing his vast Rolodex of parishing derivatives, contacts, into an updated digital social media world. We look forward to tweeting to you all in the near future. Hello, social media clients. Of course, you can also catch Jake. He was IPO Vid Livestream's guest on episode 007. Two capital markets from Brussels without love. Catch that at youtube.com slash IPO underscore vid. Meanwhile, if you're looking for another podcast this week, the IPO Vid Livestream has actually got its own podcast. Episode 1 is now online, where I, Patrick L. Young, was talking about the state of the world last year in relation to the corona crisis and much more. If you'd like to listen to that, you can find it on all the major podcast directories, ipo-vidpodcast. And finally this week, it brings us in a slightly longer 100th anniversary edition to celebrate June the 23rd, which was Happy Brexit Day. Five years on from the historic vote of the British people to pursue independence from the European Union, lots have changed, and for the better in the United Kingdom. Exchange Invest doggedly championed the right of self-determination by the British people and supported the referendum to leave, even if actually we didn't have a vote due to living overseas. We also stood rather alone in predicting Brexit, where others sought to sabotage the whole concept when the vote was lost for remaining within the European Union blob. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com, with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up, or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome, wherever you find this podcast. Five years later, and it is already clear the UK is in a much, much better place, despite some governmental macro foibles. Tragically, the European Union is in a worse place than ever. The concept of a win-win post-Brexit future continues to tragically escape the bot-like leaders, if that's not a misnomer, from Brussels, which the aggressively hyper-mediocre Mairead McGuinness, the financial commissioner, exemplifies to a T. The European Union's destruction of trust is entirely its own fault through disingenuous approaches to negotiation, 
and the disgraceful imposition of vaccine straps, which included the exercise of Northern Irish protocols engineered by Brussels as lose-lose imperialism, that the European Union now has the temerity to accuse the UK of being the party which needs to build trust comes straight out of that imperialist playbook which delivered the vast pogrom of the Belgian Congo. Britain looks well-placed despite its governmental ineptitude on other fronts. However, the European Union tragically is in an awful place on pretty much every front. That is a tragedy and a desperate plight for many citizens. It's becoming more and more apparent after a decade of, at best, stasis across the block. I do not promote the desire to break up the European Union per se, but I'm increasingly struggling to see how it survives in the long term. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, five years on, happy Brexit day. I'm delighted the UK is free to trade and hope it will continue to sign trade deals with alacrity with all of our trading partners across the globe. And of course, remember, if you're still stewing in the losing corner, the prodigal offspring repo remains a thing. Join us and get on board with the future. It will be much more productive for us all to back Britain, wherever we are in the world, as UK growth means global growth. And that's a win-win for everybody. Specifically in the world of exchanges, amen to this statement. The UK government noted this week, Britain will reform its financial markets assertively to attract trailblazing companies from across the world, though it won't diverge from European standards just for the sake of it. And on that, well, probably not mysterious, but certainly magnificent note, happy Brexit Day, everybody. Have a great week in life and markets. Thank you for listening to this 100th episode of the Exchange Invest podcast. We'll be back next week with episode 101, hopefully not a Hindenburg issue. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thanks for listening. Catch up on Exchange Invest Daily, Monday through Saturday. The business of forces explained at the Water Cooler of Markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.